Today's first scripture reading comes from the 139th Psalm, verses 1 through 16. Please listen to what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before our word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. The word of the Lord. Our second reading this morning comes to us from the book of Galatians, and I'm going to amend what's in the bulletin just a little bit. We're going to do chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, and then verses 26 through 29. Listen now for a word from God. The only thing I want to know from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing works of the law? or by believing what you heard. Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight this morning, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
In his 2008 off-Broadway musical, Ordinary Days, composer Adam Guan tells the story of four people whose lives intertwine in surprising ways over the course of a couple of weeks in New York City. At one point, one of the characters, Deb, who is a rather high-strung and self-involved grad student, finds herself navigating the maze of the Metropolitan Museum of Art to meet a stranger, Warren, who happens to be in possession of a binder containing all the notes she needs for her thesis, a binder she had lost days ago. She is on a deadline, she is stressed out, and she is so wholly focused on retrieving what she's lost that she becomes increasingly frustrated with how things are going. And when Warren expresses a hope for connection, she responds to him with a scathing rant, emphasizing just exactly how little interest she has in knowing him and the worthlessness of his perspective. In response, he turns to the Monet that's hanging in front of them in the gallery and says, this painting reminds me of people like us Thousands of tiny specks huddled together in random arrangements that nobody expects. Every dot on its own ordinary and pale, but thrown together one by one, they make this dazzling, joyous, hopeful sort of. Never mind. with all the pressures of the world weighing down on us, it can be difficult to see the value of people beyond what they can do for us, let alone to appreciate what a different perspective might have to offer. And that's exactly where we meet the Galatian church today. They may all worship together, but this is a group of people deep in us versus them territory. Questions of fidelity to Jewish law, of social standing, of access and power, all of this is at play. And the stakes feel so astronomically high that they've lost sight of everything except the need to be correct, to win. There is a reason that New Testament scholar Laura Nasrallah calls Galatian Paul's howler letter, for those of you who have read Harry Potter. The community is fixated on what divides them, and Paul reads them for filth. It's not that they don't deserve it, but I think that if we delve a little deeper here, we might notice that there's something deeply relatable happening. These are not arbitrary arguments. The Galatian Christians are trying to protect the things they believe because those things define their identities, and they think they need to. They're invested in them. That is not something unique to early Christians. We all have parts of our identities that we cherish. We have teams we root for, people we come from, places we call home, beliefs that we've fought hard to reconcile and hone, and beliefs that we have worked really hard to separate ourselves from. When it comes right down to it, we're willing to fight tooth and nail for those kinds of things because we believe we need those boundaries. They help us know who we are. And if we can know that, we can not only navigate the world, we can also navigate other people. 
These identities offer us a sort of mental shorthand for getting through our days and locating ourselves. They're precious to us. And we guard them because they provide a much-needed buffer from the reality that, if we're honest, we suspect we barely know ourselves, let alone other people. Philosophers have spilt gallons of ink trying to articulate a comprehensive system for who we are to ourselves and each other and how we know, and I am not going to summarize Philosophy 101 today. But it does seem to be the case that we are incapable of fully understanding who and what we are, and that is frankly terrifying. Like, have you ever been in a situation where something didn't go the way you thought it would or caught you off guard and your reaction was wholly unexpected, even to you? Like something came out of your mouth, you took some action, some thought sprung up, and when you had time later to reflect, you couldn't help but think, what was that? Where did that come from? That is not who I am. Try as we might to claim that we are fully realized, self-actualized, wholly autonomous and self-aware beings, we don't really fully know who we are. And even if we did, it wouldn't matter because the world we live in is constantly changing and changing us. It reminds me of this moment in Alice in Wonderland where the caterpillar and Alice are having a conversation and he says to her, who are you? And she looks at him and says, I hardly know, sir. I know who I was when I woke up this morning, but I assume I've changed several times since then. Change is unsettling. It's destabilizing. Even good change means reshuffling the way things are, or were, to accommodate how they are now. If you have ever moved in with somebody, you might be able to relate. Even our most deeply held beliefs about ourselves are not impervious to revision, but we cling to them nonetheless, insisting they're foolproof. Now, no community or identity group is a monolith. But it is the case that communities form around a few key similarities of circumstance, experience, embodiment, or belief. It's a very human thing. We form them constantly. And more often than not, we set them against each other because that opposition is key. It's not only about knowing who we are, it's about knowing who we are not, collectively and individually. And yet, it's into this exact sentiment that Paul speaks this morning and insists on something else entirely. Here are the factions of Galatians, each convinced that they have the upper hand and the truth of what it is to be correctly Christian. And here comes Paul, wading into the middle of it, asserting that in Christ there is no longer Jew nor Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. The most important thing we are in Christ has nothing to do with the boundaries we've created. We are all ha-adam. We are all created ones. This is a recreation story. And the things we were so certain meant everything, the things that were paramount, they exist secondarily to Christ. This is again that revaluation. This is a new way of knowing, a new kind of identity, 
not one formed against or in contrast to something or someone, but one found in something. Remember that Gospel of John telling us all things came to be through Christ, and without him not one thing came into being. Which is not to say there is not value in our diversity. We know that creation is diverse. We know that God created many kinds of things in this universe, but the larger point is that none of it exists outside of Christ. That galaxy held an existence within Christ. That tree, an expression of life existing within the divinity of Christ, the person sitting next to you in the pew, also held an existence by Christ. Sometimes I like to think of it as like the giant jello mold of Christ. It doesn't mean we don't have differences. Paul is not talking about some homogenization of all of creation. But I think the text suggests that perhaps the diversity of creation, all creation, is necessary to reflect the fullness of God. That boundary, that edge, that place where of difference is not there to be a fight. It's not there to be guarded or reinforced as though it poses a threat. It's an invitation to curiosity. It's an offering that holds the potential of fullness or at least a greater understanding of God. That person, that other person, is positioned somewhere you are not, which means they know things about the world you don't, and they see things differently. And they are just as fully and wholly encompassed within Christ as you are. Sometimes when I walk down the street in New York, especially on beautiful summer days, I try really hard to let my New York guard down. I start to really look at people as they stream past me, and I try to wrap my mind around, like, just for a moment, the fact that they are as fully formed a person as me. That they have parents and families and hopes and opinions and fears and hobbies, and a laugh I've never heard, and a favorite song. That they chose their outfit today for a reason, and that it means something to them. If I'm lucky, I can do that for maybe 60 seconds before it becomes completely overwhelming. Holding that kind of space is far too much for me. Some days I can barely hold that space for myself, let alone other people. And yet, Scripture promises us that God not only knows us completely, but knows every other single person I have ever encountered, and all the ones I haven't. And not just knows them in a cursory way, but knows them as deeply and fully as God knows me. More fully than I know myself. And God loves each creation fully and completely not in spite of who we are, but in all of its fullness. Can you remember the first time someone told you you were not something enough? Not strong enough, not pretty enough, not smart enough. The first time you got the distinct sense you were failing some standard of masculinity you hadn't been previously aware existed. 
the first time you knew with certainty you weren't measuring up to that pervasive societal expectation of what it meant to be a woman. The first time you realized that other people might care more about policing your conformity than celebrating your joy. Or maybe that moment you watched the law take precedent over your personhood, somehow rendering you less than. That's violence. That's a lie. That is what it looks like when our highest priorities are protecting the boundaries of the identities we've carved out for ourselves. It's idolatry of self-determination, and God is so much bigger than that. We exist, we are clothed in the love of a God who is enough and is enough for each of us and for whom we are enough in this moment as we are. So when our identities and boundaries come crashing up against each other, we don't have to act from a place of scarcity and defense. We can hold those things more gently. We can acknowledge their frailty. We can know that sometimes they're going to break. And we can trust that the breaking is okay, that God is bigger than the breaking. That the God who knew us in the womb, in the unformed places, is also present in the shifting and the changing, in the illegibility, in the both and, in the way that the light shines through the cracks and illuminates new ways of seeing ourselves, each other, and God. Creation, us, all of it, is an expression of joy. Creation is an expression of divine abundance. There is room for you here. Beyond belief systems and the orthodoxy that claims to need our defending, beyond the power structures and the scarcity and the need for control that drives them, beyond the ill-fitting definitions of selfhood that obscure and distort our deep and fundamental desire for someone, anyone, to see us, to love us, to live alongside us, celebrating us for all that we are and all that we bring in our collective efforts to know God better. This is the freedom we have been given in Christ. Let us celebrate all that we collectively bring to the table. Amen.